0: Good morning, good to see you. Thanks for braving the weather to be here this morning. So since the snow is coming, I'll give you the shortened version. I'll just give you the fill in the blanks and then we'll be done. If that works, good, no amens. Good job, you passed the (laughs) test. We're in Philippians chapter 2. As I have opportunity to preach, we'll continue through the book of Philippians together. We're going to be looking at two servants, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, but God's gracious gift is actually one another. We are now in the gift-giving season of Christmas, and I know that many of you were fooled into thinking that this gift-giving season, season of Christmas began after Halloween. I'm sorry you were fooled and duped into watching those Christmas Hallmark movies right before, before Thanksgiving. That was not the time. Now, since Thanksgiving is over, as we take one holiday at a time, we can now begin with the Christmas festivities. So I'm sorry if you were fooled into thinking you began earlier. But as we think about the gifts that we buy, we usually think of things that we can wrap, things that we can put under a tree. Um, we usually disassociate, even separate ourselves from that gift sometimes. In the passage, we're going to see that God actually gives us as gifts... One another. We are the gift. Now this message is not one where we're now going to be able to walk around and just say, you're so lucky to have me. Pastor Matt said that I am a gift. So here you go. I'm here. Right? This is not, um, you're not allowed to apply this message in a way where you don't buy any gifts for your friends or family. All you do is walk up to him and say, you're welcome. Because Pastor Matt said, I am a gift, so all you're getting is my presence this holiday season. No, that's not what we're focused on today. In Ephesians 4.11, it says that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So some people are gifted with the ability to preach and teach, but according to this passage, the people are the gifts as well. God gave the apostles, gave these people, these individuals, to help equip the saints. Our big idea this morning is that the gospel compels us to serve our church family. And that's where our focus is going to be as we look at Timothy and Epaphroditus, how they served the church family. Now we obviously need to serve people who are not a part of the church family. We need to show love to those who don't know Christ. Absolutely. But as for the focus of this passage, as we see with Timothy and Epaphroditus, we're going to see the great love they have for the church, specifically the people of God. So we're in Philippians chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse 19 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll pray. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go well with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for this passage. We're thankful for individuals like Timothy and Epaphroditus that uh, we can look to as great examples of um, really serving others and loving others well. But we pray that you will help us to see Christ in this. Help us to see the motivation that we have for loving one another it's because of Christ and is for Christ. We pray that you'll challenge our hearts this morning with this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we're going to look at Timothy. It says that he has proven his worth for God's family. Proven worth there in uh, verse, uh, what is it, 22. He has proven worth for God's family. And Paul describes how he proved his worth from verse 20 is where we'll begin. A concern, He showed a genuine concern for the church. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, this is the idea of having, be, just being naturally thoughtful. How many of you would say that you are not a naturally thoughtful person? Anybody? Okay, there's a few hands, mostly guys' hands, but a few ladies' hands going up. Yeah, sometimes you might say that we're not naturally thoughtful, but really, we are naturally thoughtful to the people that we love the most. I personally, I am naturally thoughtful towards myself. It doesn't take very much for me to think of myself. Uh, for me to clothe myself or feed myself the things that I like to eat. At Thanksgiving time, we had a couple Thanksgivings, which was wonderful. I put in my mouth the things that I wanted to eat, and I did not put things in my mouth that I did not want to eat. It was amazing. I was so thoughtful towards myself. I was so kind and caring uh, about me. I don't need a special occasion to buy myself something nice. I don't need to wait for my birthday. Or Christmas time, sometimes I just go to Walmart and I just buy me something just because. Just because I love me, right? If we're naturally thoughtful to the people we love most. Sometimes our family members or people living in our house. Maybe you have a really close friend that when you go to Walmart, you see something on the shelf. You say, I know they would love this. And then you just buy it for them. Just because we're naturally thoughtful. But usually we are to the people who are really, really close to us. Now, Timothy, we don't know if Timothy has ever visited the Philippian church. But it says that he would be genuinely concerned for their welfare. He would just be naturally thoughtful and caring for people he's never met before. And why would he do that? It's probably the only reason is because he loves the church. He's naturally thoughtful of them because they're a part of the family of God. Now, we often refer to ourselves as CBC family. As a church family. And I, we rightfully do so. But I think some people might have the idea that we might be artificially doing this to try to drum up, you know, some sort of community where we don't really have a lot in common. So we'll call each other the CBC family. So it looks like we have something in common that we're really together in this or an artificial way to get people to sign up for stuff. I, I don't know if what people might think of why we call it ourselves a church family. But it's really a biblical term that we're using, and it's not because we're closer than other people, it's because of what God, how God refers to us. In a myriad of passages, God refers to us as being children of God. In Romans 8.15, he says that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. In John chapter 1, it says, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, there, you probably don't want me to go on and on, because there are so many more passages where we're, we are referred to as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's all over Scripture. So to call one another as church family, it's not a stretch. It's not a, an extreme way of thinking about other members of the body of Christ. So we shouldn't look at Timothy and think, wow, he is going above and beyond. He is an amazing individual for looking at the Philippian church where he's never been and say, I love them, or I am genuinely caring about them. It's just a natural outworking. Timothy understood that he is a child of the king, and he looked at them and said, they are also children of the king, and so that makes us family, so I love them. It should just be a natural outworking for us as well. Think about the people in this room as you look around. You might know some of them really well. You might not know some of them at all. Maybe you've never met. You've sat on separate sides of the church for years, but you've never crossed over to actually interact with each other because you have your pews and all that. So you might not know certain people, but do you have a genuine love for each other? Not because of what they've done for you or how they interact with you or not, but because they're a child of the king just like you. Think about this last month or so. Have you treated other members of our church as church family? I believe that this is an area that our church can really grow in. I think while we do it pretty well, I think there's always areas for growth in our life, and I can grow in this as well. It's easy for me to show love and genuine concern for the people I know really well, for the people I don't know well, It's a little bit harder, so that's definitely an area I can grow in. But think about the last time you maybe shared a meal with some of your church family, aside from the harvest dinner, because we all kind of did that. When is the last time you maybe wrote an encouraging note to someone just to show love for them? When was the last time you maybe have sacrificed your time and energy to be a blessing to someone just because they're a child of God, just because they're your brother in Christ, just because they're your sister in Christ? We can grow in our love for our church family. Timothy also has proved his worth to God's family by seeking the church's interests. Let's look at verse 21. He says, For they all seek their own interests. Who's he referring to? Who's seeking their own interests? We're not sure exactly, but we could be referring to the people in chapter 1 who were preaching Christ out of their selfish motives. Right? They were seeking their own interests. They were doing it because they were losing some prestige and they wanted to um, preach Christ, that'll show Paul. It could be referring to, in chapter 3, verse 2, the false teachers that were seeking their own interests. We're not sure exactly who, specifically, they're talking about, but he's contrasting their character with Timothy's. Timothy's a humble person and considers others better than himself. Look back in your Bibles to Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul is describing Timothy. And what a great compliment that is. He's not just saying that Timothy is going to do some amazing things for you. That he will seek your interests above his own. But what he's saying is that Timothy has the mind of Christ. Because that's why he mentioned that earlier in chapter 2. This mind of Christ who sacrificed himself for others to the point of death. Even death on the cross. He says Timothy has that type of mindset. What a tremendous difference it makes in the life of a church. To have people who genuinely care for one another not based on performance, but just based on our identity in Christ, and have people who genuinely seek the interests of others. Wouldn't that make a huge difference in the life of our church if every one of us had this mentality to seek others' interests above our own and to genuinely care for one another? I think it would. We also see that Timothy was discipled by the church, specifically by Paul himself. Are there any sons and fathers here? Sons or fathers? Okay, all right, quite a few of you guys. Now, I am both a son and a father of a son. Now, I didn't get to choose my father, and I didn't get to choose my son. I don't know if you guys know, that's not really how that works usually, unless with adoption, that you know, you get to choose your son. But, um, but I'm not going to trade them, okay, in case you're wondering. That's not where I'm going with this, that I would trade them at all. But in that relationship, that father-son relationship that we see here uh, with Timothy, it says in verse 22, has a son with a father. He has served with me in the gospel. In this relationship, it's my duty as a father to teach and train my son to know God and to love God. Right? So I have to share the gospel with him over and over again. And he's made a profession of faith in Christ. And so now I need to help him to grow in his understanding of the word and understanding of God. But it's not just a teacher-student relationship, right? With a father and son, it's not just dad comes home and he sits you down behind the desk and he starts just teaching you lessons. You have to take notes and then you make it take a test at the end of the week. That's not what it is. It's living life together. It's guiding. It's correcting. There's rebuke that comes. There's correction. There's discipline that happens with that father-son relationship. And so what Paul is doing with Timothy and Timothy with Paul is really fulfilling the Great Commission in this discipleship. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we have discipleship programs here in this church. We have ABF. We have Wednesday nights. Um, but even what we're doing right now, this is discipleship, where somebody is teaching you from God's Word and you are learning and growing. And so we have that Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. But with, we see with, as a son with a father, that it's more than just a structural program. This is something that Calvary Baptist Church cannot do. We cannot create this relationship, son with father or mother with daughter type of relationship. Because it takes a willingness, as we see with Timothy, a willingness to submit himself to Paul, an individual who loves the Lord. A willingness to say, I'm going to submit myself to you. I want you to teach me. I want you to train me in godliness. I want you to help me to grow in my love for the Lord. And I'm willingly putting myself underneath your authority. Even your rebuke. When you see me doing something wrong, Timothy is saying... I want you to call me out on it. I want you to correct me. I want you to discipline me. That's what we see as in this relationship, in this discipleship, and every single one of us must have this. And then Paul had to also be willingly say, I'm going to take you in as a son. I'm going to be willing to say the difficult things to you, the things that you might not want to hear at the moment. I'm going to say them to you because I know it will help you grow in the Lord. So I know I need to correct you or rebuke you lovingly, graciously from God's word. What a great thing that, it, that is to have somebody you can go to. Do you have that? Do you have somebody, a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, that you can go to for wisdom? That is, you have given them permission to speak truth into your life and said, even if it's difficult, if you see something that I need to work on, call me out on it. Please tell me because I need to grow. If you don't have that, I want to encourage you to find somebody who's willing to invest in your life to help you to grow. Think about if you have kids just entering the teen years, how uncertain you can be as a parent. It's like, what is going on with them? They are changing so fast. It's so different. It would be foolish if you never talk to another godly parent who has gone through that before, who has navigated it already, that can give you wisdom and say, can you help me? What's going on here? How did you deal with this or that? Can you point me to some scripture that would be helpful that I can use with my children? It'd be foolish if we didn't go and ask for wisdom. It's like if you're entering retirement, it'd be foolish if you didn't talk to somebody else who has already gone through that transition in life and done it in a godly way. It's like, help me navigate how I'm supposed to deal with this. If you're graduating high school, It'd be foolish to not talk to a godly guy or girl who is in college now and get their wisdom. We're oftentimes foolish to think that we have all the answers. I don't think that's most of us. I don't think any of us would say, yes, I have all the answers. I think most of us, the foolishness comes in when we know we don't have all the answers and we're not willing to get help, not willing to get the answers from somebody or get wisdom from somebody who will help direct us. And challenge us and encourage us in the, some of those areas in our life, so let's not be foolish. let's think, I don't have the answers, I don't know how to navigate this. Go find somebody who can be a godly father or mother to you who will guide you and help you in godliness. And what a great description we have. Not just he's a son with a father, but he has served with me in the gospel. and that's really what it's all about. It's the gospel. If you want to see how Paul encouraged Timothy with the gospel, it's right there in your Bible. Read First and Second Timothy. You can read how they have this, this relationship they have, but it's all centered on the gospel. Timothy is willing to do this because he understands what Jesus Christ has done. He sacrificed himself and died on the cross and risen from the dead and changed Timothy in such a way he said, I need to change and grow because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done. Timothy has this proven worth and this commitment in all these things because of the gospel. The gospel wasn't something that was just his ticket to get to heaven or a ticket to maybe have a better life here, but the gospel is something that truly transformed his life in an instant and continued to transform his life. And so we're going to see with both Timothy and Epaphroditus that both of them are serving this way in a response to the gospel. So in verse 23 and verse 24, we see again that Paul loves the Philippians. He desires to be with them. We see that uh, he's believing that he's at the end of his term there in prison. He says, I'm going to come to you soon. Shortly, I should be able to be with you. And so we see this love that he has for them. And then he starts talking about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was actually a member of the Philippian church. The Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Paul to minister to him. We see that in chapter 4, verse 18. And so they know him well. They know Epaphroditus' character. But Paul still wanted to talk to them about his character to show the ministry that he had been to Paul and wanted to encourage the Philippian church with that. And so we see Epaphroditus' sacrificial love for God's family. Epaphroditus is one who saw needs and met them again, for the church. Obviously, we should be doing this for everyone. We should be loving and serving everyone, but Epaphroditus specifically for the church. The church sent him. He went out and ministered to Paul, a member of the church. Do you guys remember this theme that we had years ago, the see a need, meet a need? This is one of the the themes that I remember well uh, because it was just Really easy and really catchy, and you could apply that anywhere. You see a piece of trash on the ground, you pick it up. So you need me to need. You can point it out to people. Hey, there's somebody who needs help with the door. So you need me to need, and you just go out and do it. It's just really easy and really uh, easy to catch on to. And so, Paphroditus was this type of guy. Um, Paul describes him in a variety of ways. There in verse 25, describes him as a brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. So we're going to go through each one of these just briefly. As a brother, first and foremost, Paul saw him as a brother in Christ. He goes, first, family. He wanted to say your identity in Christ was more important than anything that you might be doing or not doing for me. You are a brother in Christ, first and foremost. Then he described him as a fellow worker. Now this description Paul uses various times in Corinthians and in Colossians and other places. And it really showed the dedication of Epaphroditus, how he had towards Paul, and really, Paul didn't think of Epaphroditus as a lowly servant, as, oh, he's just a servant, or he's just a messenger, as if that's a lowly thing at all. He says, we are fellow workers in Christ, even though Paul is the Apostle Paul, and Epaphroditus is just... Some guy who who was ministering to Paul, he did not see that as as a low thing at all. So if anybody says you're you're just a servant, that's not a bad thing at all. You are a fellow worker for the cause of Christ. Paul said it doesn't. Who cares what positions we have? He is bringing me stuff and encouraging me, and that is just as important for the cause of Christ as me in writing these letters and writing these words um, that are going to be in Scripture. You see, Paul does some amazing things. This guy died, nearly died for the work of Christ in verse 30. He's doing it all for the Lord. So it doesn't matter what position you have even here at church, whether you are a nursery worker or a teacher or a pastor or a deacon or a trustee, all of us as brothers and sisters are of Christ, we are all fellow workers. We all have the same goal of glorifying God and trying to make his name known. And so we need to see each other as that. Next we see that he is also a soldier of Christ. This is Paul's first time at comparing a believer as a soldier in G- for Jesus Christ. And he mentions it later in 2 Timothy 2 as we see here on the screen. He's sharing sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So here we see what he means by a soldier. One, he's willing to endure suffering. He's willing to go through struggles and hardships for Christ. But also, he's not going to get entangled in those civilian pursuits. So, What does he mean by that? What he means is that where once Epaphroditus has, might have been somebody who would just be about himself or about the culture, whatever the culture says, do that. He says, now that God has enlisted Epaphroditus... He is going to do the work of the one who enlisted him. And this happens for every single one of us. At the moment that you are saved from your sins, at the moment that God opens your eyes to the gospel, and you see your need for Christ, you repent of your sins and place your trust and faith in him, you are currently enlisted in God's army, in the Lord's army. And so now we are focused on doing what pleases the one who enlisted us. We are now all called by God to do the work of the ministry. And again, it's going to be different for each and every one of us. But all of us are called by God to serve him. We're all called by God to do his work. And we need to make sure that we are not being distracted by civilian pursuits. Distracted by other things that might occupy our time or energy. Can't be distracted our main goal of glorifying God and enjoying him. It's because it's a great perspective of Epaphroditus. He knows what life is really all about, and he was willing to endure much suffering for the cause of Christ. Then as a messenger, what did Epaphroditus deliver to Paul? Well, we know in chapter 4 that he actually delivered goods to Paul, but he probably also delivered him news that the church was praying for him. Chapter 1, verse 19, Paul knows the church is praying for him. Chapter 3, verse 2, he probably shared that there were false teachers That's why Paul addresses that uh, to the church. He also probably shared with Paul about the struggles of Yodia and Syntyche and their disagreement that they had, because he addresses that in chapter 4, verse 2. With all these things that Epaphroditus was a messenger of, it was all with the focus of ministering to him. Ministering being encouragement to Paul, being encouragement to the Philippians. He didn't share the news of Yodia and Syntyche just to gossip, say you won't believe what's going on at church. Oh, it's crazy. These two people are getting into it. That's not why he shares it with them. He doesn't share about all the good things that they're doing, because this is an encouraging letter. Paul's rejoicing in the Philippian church. Not just a brag, saying we are amazing over there, other than these two people. We are really doing well. That's not the goal of it. It was to minister. He shares it with Paul so that Paul can give wisdom. He can give good biblical encouragement to the church and help them work through the issues that they have. So he's sharing all the stuff that's going on with their church so that he can minister to Paul and let let Paul know what God's doing. And then Paul can be an encouragement back to them. Now we can get lost in all these descriptors of Epaphroditus But what I want us to take away from it is that Epaphroditus considered the work of Jesus Christ as more important than any other work he had to do. If he was going to send a message, he was going to do it with the goal of ministering to both Paul and his local church. If he was going to deliver any goods, he was going to do it with encouragement as well. And let's look at the lengths that he was willing to go in verses 26 and 27 and 30. Let's look together. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. See that love that they have again for each other. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And then verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Why would somebody do that? In our cushy American lives, We'd look at Epaphroditus and be like, dude, take it easy, <laughs> right? You don't need to be this super Christian that you don't need a—it's it's not worth it. You don't need to really go above and beyond. Dude, you nearly died for the work of—why would you do that? Why would you be willing to put your life on the line? It's like that kid in class. You guys have that kid in class where you're supposed to have a quiz that day, and you're getting through class, and you realize the teacher forgot that you're having a quiz and you're like, oh man, we could get out of this. Like we only have a few minutes left. And then that kid who like already knows all the answers anyways raises their hand and you're like, No. Like, oh teacher, you forgot the quiz that we're gonna take. Oh yeah, we can have a few more minutes. And everyone's like, What is your problem? Like, you're already gonna get an A on this anyways. Why would you do this? We almost got out of it. We look at people who are maybe going above and beyond and like the goody two shoes and we might look at Epaphroditus the same way and be like, dude, it's not worth it. He almost died. Really? Come on. Is the cause of Christ really worth that? Like, pull it back a notch. You don't need to be this super Christian, holier than thou type of person. What is the gospel worth? How much do you think the gospel's worth? Is it worth your life? Now, many of us are not going to have to answer that question. I'm guessing we're not going to have to answer the question uh, if somebody has a gun to our head and says, renounce Christ or die. I'm guessing we're not going to have that question asked of us. But we probably are going to have the question asked of us, is the gospel worth risking our health? Is it worth it, risking our health? Now, I'm not saying if you're like really deathly ill that you need to go out and shovel somebody's uh, driveway later today. I'm not, not saying that. I'm not saying that we're going to be unwise with our health. But what I'm saying, is it worth it if it comes to that? If it's worth it, if somebody's moving and you say, I know I'm going to be really sore the next day, are you wor- is it worth you willing to put your health at risk, being a little tired, being a little sore? Maybe getting a cold. Is it worth putting your health at risk to love the body of Christ? To show love to your neighbor? To show love to this church family? If you do it for your immediate family, would you do it for your church family? Is it worth it? Maybe even a tougher question. Is it worth my schedule changing? That person who is going to move. Maybe you had other plans that day. Is it worth changing your schedule around to show love to the body of Christ, to show love to your brother in Christ, show love to your sister. Is gospel ministry worth even an inconvenience in our life? Like, I don't want to. Do you find reasons to get out of things, or do you find reasons to do things? Are you gonna? If somebody says, "Hey, I'm moving this weekend." You say, "What can I say? What can I do that would be a good excuse to not help, to not serve?" To not show love. Do we think that way? Or do we think the way of what can I do? What can I move around so that I can show love to that person? How do we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ, our church family? Are we willing to endure suffering for them? We think about people who are in the military, law enforcement, who are willing to lay their lives on the line for people they don't even know. Right? And we we honor people like that, don't we? We think highly of them because we're like, wow, it's amazing that they would do that, that they would put their lives on the line for other people. It's it's tremendous. And we admire that because, really, thinking about Christ who sacrificed himself for for us, sacrificed himself on dying on the cross for us, and we marvel at that. And Paul even says, honor such men who who are serving so selflessly. So if you know Christ... Wouldn't you be willing to do that? Wouldn't you want to be that type of person who's willing to endure suffering, willing to put your life even on the line for the cause of Christ? 2 Corinthians 5:14 says it, that if you have been changed by this gospel, it says the love of Christ controls us. Does the love of Christ control you? Would you say that that's what controls your decisions? Not when it's convenient or not when you have nothing else going on in your life, but does the love of Christ really control you? Does it control the decisions that you make? We also see that he is, did I not put that up on the screen yet? He has endured suffering for the church. We also see that he's essential for ministry for the church. As Paul was going to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians, Uh, You could be sent back for a number of reasons. Uh, One of the reasons, you're not doing your job. It's like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to give you back to your church. You weren't really a help. But that obviously wasn't Epaphroditus. He wanted to send them back and tell them of the good work that Epaphroditus has done. And he sends them back and he says that they're going to rejoice at seeing him again. Remember, they were distressed hearing that their brother in Christ was ill to the point of death. And they couldn't do anything for him. Because he was so far away from them. So now as he comes back, they would be able to rejoice so that they could take care of him. So they could encourage him and help him. Again, so that they could minister and serve their church family. Like they want to do and have that desire to do. And we see that his presence as well would encourage Paul. Paul would be less anxious. Knowing that such a great servant is back with his church. He's like, I don't need to worry about you guys anymore says, so I know the servant Epaphroditus is with you. And he says, Receive him with joy and honor such men. Remember, he's not a lowly servant. He, he's a servant of Christ, he is a servant of the Most High, the one who enlisted him to serve. Serving is such a wonderful gift. You see that Epaphroditus was really essential for that ministry. And he did it, as we see, look at verse 30. Why did he do this? Why was he willing to risk his life? Why was he willing to suffer? Why was he willing to share about what's going on in his church, minister to Paul? He did it for the work of Christ. That's why. It was all for Christ. Because he understood what Christ has done. Just like Timothy. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself, his life, his health. For him so he's like why should i do any different why should i not be willing to sacrifice my life my health for christ if i everything that i'm doing is for the work of jesus christ i have to go big i have to go go as all out as i can these two men they only as they are great examples for us they are not the perfect example they're not the standard Timothy and Epaphroditus are not, not somebody that we should just try to be like them, but they said, uh, we're trying to be like Christ. <laughs> we're, we're doing this for the gospel. We're doing this for the work of Christ. That's what we're doing. It's like, Don't just try to be like me. Try to be like Jesus. That's our goal is to do this all for him. They only gave of themselves because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. What's your relationship with him? They understood that he was the one who took off his outer robe and washed the disciples' feet served them in the most humblest of form. They were the ones who realized that Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross. They saw the family of God. They said, they need to experience this love of Christ. And I can be the one to share that with them. These two individuals, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they weren't looking for people to care for them. (laughs) No. They understood the love of Jesus and they said, that makes me want to focus on others. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, I'm so glad the church is hearing this because now they will be more encouraged to take care of me. Now they'll be more encouraged to help me out in my times of need. Now I'm so glad Pastor Matt talked about this because now I'm going to be cared for the way I know I need to be cared for. If you're thinking about that, you're thinking the wrong way. (laughs) We need to be hearing this message And say, what can I do to serve? Because if everyone else, every one of us walks out of here thinking, okay, good, now the church can serve me. Guess who's going to be served? Nobody. Because we're all waiting for everybody else to do it. But if we all walk out of here saying, who can I serve? Guess who's going to be served? Everyone. Because all of us are going to be actively loving one another as church family. Think about Christ. What did he say? The Son of Man came not to be served. He was the only one who truly deserved to be fully served because he was perfect in every way. He said, no, but I came to serve. Give. He says he came to give his life as a ransom for many. The gospel has to compel us to serve our church family. Now, do you feel a compelling pull by the gospel to serve your church family? Or are you content being merely a consumer? Have you been challenged and moved into action by the perfect, selfless example of Christ, your Savior? Or are you still waiting for a more compelling reason? I want to tell you this. If you're waiting for a better reason to serve than Jesus Christ serving you on the cross, then you're going to be waiting forever There is not a better reason out there for you to go out and serve one another. There will never be a better reason for you to go out and show love to others other than Christ. If you're saying, I need something a little bit more. I need something else before I'm going to go out and do this. Then you're going to be waiting forever and you'll never go out and serve. Jesus Christ is our reason. The gospel is our reason to serve because he has shown us love. He has served us in such a way we need to be a great gift for one another. Would people look at you the way that Paul in the Philippian church looks at Timothy and Epaphroditus, like, oh, they're necessary. We need them in our church. Man, they are so helpful. They are so loving to treat us as family. They're genuinely concerned for one another. I know many of you act like this. Many of you have responded to the gospel in this way, and you love the people in this church, and you serve faithfully. Now, can I just say Thank you so much for serving this body of Christ. I know that me personally and also our church family has really benefited from your service. Not because of just what you have done, but because of your response to the gospel. Because you've been trying to act like your Savior. Because of what your Savior has shown you, you want to show that love to others. We have benefited from it as a church. We have, do we have room for growth? Absolutely. Because have every single one of us served one another perfectly as Christ has served us? No. So we need to grow in this area. But I know that for me, I, I am better off today, not just better off, but I love Jesus more today than I did when I first came here. I love Jesus more today because of individuals like you who have poured into my life and shown me the love of Christ. Christ. So I love him more today because of the gift of you, many of you. So we want to be that gift towards one another. Can you say that? Can you say that you have shared that gift of God with each other? Have you received it from somebody in this church? And if you haven't, I want to encourage you to start by you going out and serving somebody else, by you going out and showing love to others or finding somebody and say, will you invest in my life? Will you share scripture with me? Will you encourage me? Find somebody like that who can be an encouragement to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Christ. We're thankful for the the service that he showed us and how he's adopted us as sons and daughters. We are now in your family. Lord, we're amazed that you would count us as your children and we're so thankful that we can look at each other in this room and say you are a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. Help us to love one another as if because we are family, not as if we're family, because we are family, and help us to show that sacrificial love, be willing to even endure suffering and trials and hardships for the cause of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.